0: This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Amen, amen. Let's give Jesus one more round of applause. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Good to see you this morning. Welcome to Relevant Life Church. Welcome to Relevant Life Church online. I know that today is a three, or this weekend is a three-day holiday, and a lot of people are, are enjoying that, and we're play, praying blessing upon you for taking that, but I also know that there are many that are online watching, saying, Pastor Kevin, we're watching from home today. For different reasons. So welcome online as well, and we're so glad. I'm excited to be able to preach. You know, it's a, such a privilege, such an honor to be able to come and share this mighty Word of God that none of us are qualified to do, but Jesus picks us to do, right? How many know that, would you say, say how many know that you're responsible to share the Word of God? You're responsible. So as I stand and go, I'm not qualified, and you go, I'm not qualified. God uses unqualified people, to do this. And that's what's exciting. I want to give you just a quick few announcements before I step into my sermon. Outflow. Everyone say outflow. It's where we go into the streets and we preach the word with our lives. It's where we lead worship with our lives in our service. And we are in desperate need of help. Everyone say help. We need you, and if you have not gone on and signed up at this moment, we need you to go on and sign up at this moment. Um, there are two people that are gurus at the app. I've had lots of questions up today. Two people that are gurus at the app. One, number one, primarily being Pastor Allie, and she's sitting on the front row right here, and if you're having a problem with the app, would you see her? Um, I'm, she helps me all the time, and it's like, it's very simple for people like her and complicated for people like me. Uh, so, see her. See, see Julie. They'll help you out. If you're, if you're, like, overwhelmed with the app and you are desperate to sign up, Pastor David Charles back there in the red jacket running the media at this moment. So, if the media fails today, it's his fault. <laughs> Just calling it out right now, right? No. Um, anyway, he's the one that you can see, and we, we desperately need your participation. We're about half excuse me we're about half of where we where we need to be so if you don't have any plans there's something for everybody would you just come and say i want to go serve i want to be i want to be jesus's hands and feet and that's really what we're going to do and we have a lot of fun doing it right and then the second thing is our hvac our hvac campaign and you see our envelopes on the back of both walls south hvac right now is and we desperately need your help in that area too. So one's a very practical need. One's a very practical need where we come, you come and serve. One's a practical need that you put your hands and your body into it. And one that actually you deep in, dig into your, your pocketbook and say, I'm going to give. And both of those are pleasing to God. Did you know that? Both of those glorify Him. And we desperately need your help with that. We're looking at a, approximately a $23,000 expense. Um, the equipment has been purchased is going to be being installed here in the next month. And we're probably right around, uh, 2000 to $3,000 has actually come in. So we're quite a ways from the goal. So we need your help. We need you to step in and go. And can I tell you what's so amazing? I, Pastor Sasser did an amazing job last week in the announcement. We have achieved a lot more than this in a really quick amount of time. And we can give money away, and that's so phenomenal. Why I love to give to missions, but can I tell you that if we don't care about the mission itself, we're not going to be able to keep giving away to. And so as we step into an emergency need like this that's, not, that's unforeseen, that's not planned for, we could really use your help. So please, grab an envelope. You can do that on the app also, and you're having app problems. Again, Julie and Allie, they can help you. Send an email, whatever it might be, um, or just, just give and say HVAC. That would be extremely extremely helpful. Today, Relationship 101. Turn, turn to your neighbor and say, relationships. I hope that through this journey, through this process of preaching on this series, that you've gained something from the series of relationships. I believe that every sermon has created tension. Every sermon has created a challenge within all of us. Um, and what we even realized, I was telling Pastor Trent yesterday, that every sermon could be a series in itself. How many realize it has just been a summation of, that we've just like like just giving you important information and then walked away and going, hopefully you can figure this out. Uh, what I love about this fact is that God's Word has an answer to all of these things. You know, isn't that, you know, we all have a Bible and we all have a book that we can turn to if we would just turn to for that information. So we've just brought it to try to bring it to a place like that. So today we're finishing up with that series. The series premises that every other healthy relationship flows out of your right and healthy relationship with God it comes back to the very center of how am I with God? Am God and I okay? Am I responding to God right? Am I submitting to God like I need to submit to God? Am I relating to Him? Do I understand Him? Am I seeking Him? Am I pursuing Him? Is my relationship with Jesus Christ healthy or is it not healthy? Because I can tell you, if your relationship with Jesus Christ is healthy, your marriage is going to be unhealthy. Your singleness is going to be unhealthy. Your workplace is going to be unhealthy. Everything that we do, that life has to flow out of Jesus Christ, out of that origination with our relationship with God. Today, we look at our last topic, this topic of our relationship in our lives to work, and how does work apply to us? Uh, work in this sense of, it, 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 work is significant in a person's life. Work takes up a third of our time in our lifespan. The average American will work 90,000 hours in their lifetime. The average person, average American will sleep around 200,000 hours in their lifetime. They'll drive 40,000 hours unless you're a long commuter. The average person is going to drive 40,000 hours. You're going to spend 32,000 hours eating. And you're like going, yes, hopefully it's ice cream. <laughs> if Damien, he's going to hopefully it's cold cereal right? Yeah, our ice cream. He likes both. Uh, If you're you're a TV watcher, the average TV watcher is going to spend 85,000 hours in their life. So, we step back and we evaluate this thing going, these predominant areas of our life that we're going to spend the majority of our life is sleeping, working, watching TV, I don't know if that is true in your life or not. I don't know if that is the reality, but I can tell you that's the average across America today. And it it causes us to step back and go, how am I living my life? Hopefully it creates a tension for you to step back and go, "Mm, well, maybe maybe I need to eat more. Maybe I need to eat less. Maybe I need to watch TV more. Maybe I need to watch TV less. Maybe you just need to get on your knees and say, Jesus, what is it you want me to do? As we come and we just present the truths, what I've realized in this process is that we live in a comfort culture. We live in a culture that we all want it to be easy. Everyone wanted to eat, be how many like ease. We all want it to be easy. We we look at our lives, and we look at our situations and our circumstances and we go, "What is easiest for me? What is most comfortable for me?" We live in a self-absorbed culture where we are concerned about my rights, my body, my life and my way. And regardless of whether you're a Christ follower or not, that perception, that idea still floats into our humanity. It still is there that we come back and go, ah, I want comfort. Ah, no, but I want my rights. I want it my way. Anybody struggle this morning with your way? Anybody struggle this weekend with my way? Not my way, your way. (laughs) Frank Sinatra, an old singer from a long time ago, maybe you don't even know who he is, go look him up, but he's known for a song most known for a song called My Way. The last verse of that song, I just want to read it to you and then I want to explain his perception of that song. It says, for what is man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things that he truly feels and not the words of someone who kneels. The record shows that I took all the blows and I did it my way. You may be looking at that song going, I don't even get the lyrics, I don't understand it, but let me give you my professional interpretation. Google. <laughs> this anthem came as a result at the end of the 60s, and it became an anthem in the United States of America. It became an anthem of our culture, of going, I'm, I'm going to defy authority, and I'm going to do it my way. That was, that's where this song was birthed out of, was I'm going to do it my way. It shaped a culture. It was a song of I'm most important. It was a song that said, do what you want to do. Don't kneel in humility and consideration of another. Do it your way. It addressed this, that each of us are to be responsible and take the blows of our, of our choices and just respond because it's my way. You know, I think we can look at another uh, emblem and I'm wearing a Nike symbol today, but you know, basically it says, do it, just do it. Just do it. Can I tell you that that's what's purveying our culture today and whether you, whether you recognize it or not, that idea, those ideals have impacted your life and they've impacted my life. Frank Sinatra revealed that he actually despised this song for two reasons. One is that it was a signature track of his, and, it, and it, he couldn't shake free from the identity of the message that it portrayed. Every time he sang that song, people thought that was him and his message that he was going. He's going, that's not me. He was known for this song. Every, every time he would stand up in every concert that he would give, this was a primary song that people came to hear, and he hated singing the song. Secondly, he said, what it, what it revealed is that he, perce- that he perceived my way as being self-serving and self-indulgent and arrogant. In fact, he was upset that such a song became a kind of national anthem of arrogance and pride of the human race. I went to look to go, was Frank Sinatra a believer? I couldn't find anything But I come back and go, whether he was a believer or whether he wasn't, there was a something in his moral fiber that's going, there's something wrong with my way. Today, this attitude has continued to grow in our culture and even impact people that are sitting in this room right now. All of us can address a situation or we're impacted by particular situations that I want it my way. There's a definite tension in our culture between human rights and the rights of a Christ follower. There's a definite tension in this justice of the workplace and our job and our call and our mandate of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Doing it my way or doing it God's way. Can I tell you that tension in all of our relationships is do I do it God's way or do I do it my way? Do I go to work and do it God's way or do I do it my way? And today I want to dialogue that concept and hopefully there's going to be some tension that's created and not just a get you riled inside, but if I can get you riled enough inside that you'll step back and listen to the Word of God, that's my goal. So today what I need you to, what I need you to everyone to say, hey PK, hit me with your best shot. shot. Come on, hit me with your best shot. So today we're going to come and I'm going to come down and in the rows and just hit you with my best shot. (laughs) Today, title of my message, work, is it evil or is it holy? Can I tell you today that much in our culture, many people maybe in this room or outside this room look at work as being a necessary evil, a necessary evil. We've undervalued, devalued this idea of a job. The primary audience today is anyone who's been, who is employed. Uh, Raise your hand if you have a job. Uh, Okay. uh, This, the audience is anyone that is going to get a job. Raise your hand. If you don't have a job right now and you need to get a job, raise your hand. So all of you are employed, but not all of you raised your hands. Okay, maybe, maybe you were employed, but you're now retired. Raise your hand. Okay, maybe you are, a, you're a, what am I looking for? You're self-employed or you're a, a stay-at-home mom who is working with your children. Raise your hands. Everyone has something that we're doing or you have something in your past that has impacted you. Anyone here ever been dissatisfied with your job? Anyone here being dissatisfied with the boss on your job? Anyone just been a... Brittany, put your hand down. (laughs) I look back in my life and I've had lots of jobs. Well, not lots of jobs in comparison to some others. But I remember a job in college that I despised the job. I was dissatisfied. I was... Morose, going to work, and I was—I ended up getting a job at AMPM, and there's some of them. I guess there's one right over here. But AMPM used to be this huge entity, and uh, I got a job there and quickly rose up the channel, chain of command, and I became an assistant manager. And I was still going to college at that time, and because I was going to college, and college took precedence, uh, and I was assistant manager and had to fill a certain amount of hours, my shift became graveyard. If you've ever, I mean, if today, if you are a graveyard person and you work graveyard and you love it, <laughs> kudos to you. I hated graveyard. I want to sleep when everyone else is sleeping and I want to have fun when everyone else is having fun. I, you know what I mean? I want to be part of the, I want to be part of what's happening. I don't want to be removed from. And I remember feeling so dissatisfied, frustrated with my boss, frustrated with the job, despising it. My perspective stunk. My attitude stunk and it was a necessary evil. I needed to have this job so I could make money, so I could pay off my school loan. But more importantly than all that, I had to make money so I could marry my beautiful wife. I had to come back and go, how am I going to provide for her? And I got to do what you, how many know you just got to do what you got to do? You got to man up. And I worked. I was dissatisfied. What I've realized in the work culture is that not all work is fun. Even the best jobs have parts that are not fun. How many have discovered that? Not everything in being a homeowner is fun. You know, I mean, if you're a person that likes a clean house, I don't know, anyone here like to clean toilets? Hey, you can come to my house and clean the toilet. (laughs) Right? We have hands going across this auditorium. You can make a lot of money cleaning toilets. 2022. Job satisfaction, I want to give you some statistics today. 2022, right where we're at right now, can I tell you whether we like to hear it or not, the idea of job satisfaction has changed drastically since 2020. 2022 job statistics, nearly two-thirds, 65% of employed workers are actively looking for a new job. Only 3% do not plan to change roles this year. 47% are either dissatisfied with their job on some level, and 39% are simply glad to be employed. How many are just thankful that you have a job? Meanwhile, this is what's startling to me. Meanwhile, 16% rate themselves as very satisfied with their jobs. Look around our culture today. 16%. Are satisfied with their jobs. 12% say they're passionate about their job. Can I tell you, as I go into workplaces, this this sermon this week has really opened my eyes, even to my attitudes and my perceptions and all that, going, oh, Lord, help me. But what I've realized is I've heard these statistics and then I step back and go, no, you can tell when someone is satisfied. You can tell when someone is passionate about their job. Have you ever been, been through a Starbucks line and you can tell someone that's just doing their job and someone that's like, or maybe they're wired on coffee, but man, they love their job. Just the aroma of the Starbucks would wire you. Much of what I have read, though, and this is what I want you to understand, much of what I've read articles, secular spiritual articles, that that, that the foundation of all this comes back to the individual person's perspective and attitude. Now right there, I just created a lot of tension. Right there, I just had people flip the switch off to go, but he doesn't understand and I'm gonna turn him off because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Would you please just open your hearts and allow Jesus to do something today? Because I can tell you today that there are people in this room that are dissatisfied, that are unhappy. There's people in this room that are passionate. There's people that are in between. And God today wants to do something in your life. God wants to shift something in your perspective and in your attitude. How many realize that whether it comes to a singleness sermon or a marriage sermon or a dating sermon or a parenting sermon or a child-to-parent relationship or a friendship, it comes back to perspective and attitude? Isn't that really what it is? And so when we step into this concept, what we've been doing throughout this series, um, intentionally but unintentionally, is basically giving you God's philosophy on all these things, and today I want to come and I want to bring God's philosophy on this concept of work. Before I can step into the sermon of how to work, how to, are we to work, I think I need to clarify what is work. I need to clarify what is a the theology of work. What's God's perspective of work? This idea of theology of work is the study of God and work or vocation. How does God interact with our work and how does God view work? Can I tell you that the word "calling in the New Testament oftentimes is defined as vocation? So he's not talking about this higher calling that you an "ooh" calling that you stand up and preach the gospel, He's talking about calling, that all of us have a vocational calling, that all of us are going to fill a slot and there's not one that's higher than another, that all, He desires for all of us to find satisfaction and meaning and purpose and passion in what we are doing. The biblical theology of work is that work was designed by God as man's earthly calling. Today, we can oftentimes sell ourselves short. We can come back and go, I'm just dissatisfied. And yeah, there's, you know, what's amazing is that we can switch jobs. And there's a lot of jobs open right now. So if you're looking for a job and want a different job, go find a job. But can I tell you that that's not always the answer either. And we're going to dialogue that today. But the Bible makes it very clear that work matters to God. Your job and how you do your job, your vocation and how you do your vocation matters extremely to God. It's not something that's a passive idea. So just really quickly, I want to highlight this idea of theology of work. Number one, biblical views. Number one, God works. God himself works. God himself is continuing at this moment to sustain our world. God at this moment is continuing to be involved in your life and in my life. God at this work moment, it says that he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's not just sitting in a, in a recliner up in heaven on a cloud going, man, I hope these human beings get, this, get their act together. He is actively in the process of continuing to create theology of work. Number two, work is not a result of the fall. Many people come back and go, well, the fall happened and now I have to work. No, the fall happened and now it's made work harder. Can I tell you that prior to, the, prior to the fall of man, prior to sin, God said, Adam, Eve, go into the garden, and I want you to till the ground. Go into the garden, and I want you to control and to, to submit it. I want you to do what needs to happen. This idea that God was the creator out of nothing, and God's now saying, I want you to create it out of something. Work is more than making money. It is a place to be shaped and a place to spread the gospel. We have to step back into the mission of what Jesus has called us to and going, it's more than just a paycheck. It's about, am I allowing myself to be shaped by the circumstances around me? And am I spreading the gospel? Work matters to God now and eternally. God created men and women in His image That image of working, among other things, to do the work that he's called us to, not just now, but can I tell you, when you look at Revelation, there's still work, there's still part of our job, that the city is, a holy city is going to come down, and you're going to be part of that holy city, and it has to function based upon labor. It's not just going to be the magical Disneyland that all of a sudden, you wave a wand and Tinkerbell comes and does whatever. Humanity was created to work. Work is an outflow, number, th- the next one is work is an outflow of our unique skills, gifts, talents, and God calls us to particular roles and activities. Can I tell you today, as I look at some of the jobs you're doing, they make me shudder. I want to, I, if I had to go to the job that you're doing, I would lay in a fetal position in the corner and cry. <laughs> but can I tell you, you're doing an amazing job. Oh, yeah. Why? Because God shaped you, designed you, created you for that. Some of you may be saying the same thing about mine, going, oh, I couldn't get up there. God shaped me and designed me and created me to be what I'm doing. He created all of us with our unique abilities. And can I tell you, it's the outflow, our work jobs are that outflow of those things. And lastly, work is a gift from God. Everyone say work is a gift. Do you believe that today? Work is a gift from God. And I know that this theology, as we were talking about this God theology of work, It's going to take a shift of perspective. I can hear voices at this moment, or I can hear thoughts at this moment. That's kind of scary that I hear voices at this moment, right? You're going, Pastor Kevin, you need help. Granted, I do. But I can hear your thought processes going, but Pastor Kevin, you don't understand my circumstance. Pastor Kevin, you don't know my job. You don't know my boss. You don't know what situation I'm in. And I can tell you this: I don't, but God does. Amen. I don't, but God does. And God has a principle that He wants us to work on. Second, so, First Peter chapter two. Peter makes some in-your-face statements, and I want to read these statements to, to you today. It says, "Submit yourselves." Everyone say, say "Submit yourselves." Amen. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to king or to as the one, one in authority or to governors is sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. It says, submit yourselves. This is not a forced submission. This is not a, a law submission. This is a heart submission that we come back and go, I am going to submit myself to authorities. Peter giving strong words, not giving giving explanation, not giving excuses, not giving an out. He's going, submit yourselves to. Skipping to verse 18, it says, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and, and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable, for this finds favor. Scripture is adamant about living in submission. Scripture's adamant. About honoring authority. Can I tell you that this topic right now in our culture is a hot topic? I've heard every excuse. And if you want my opinion, I can give it to you. And you probably have heard some of it when you've not even asked for it. But I can tell you it is a hot topic. Do we submit to those in authority over us if we don't agree with them? Can I tell you this? God's word says you submit to those in authority. There's not an if, ands, or but. I will give you an if, ands, or but. If that submission to authority goes against your morals, goes against the Word of God, not your feelings, everyone say, not my feelings, but against your morals. If it's causing you to deny Christ, if it's causing you to not walk out of obedience of God's Word, but if it goes against your comfort, if it goes against what you think as your rights... Can I tell you, that's not Christianity, because when you signed up for Christianity, you said, I die to my rights, and I submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It all started with this concept of God placing people in charge. And what I've realized in my life is that when I have to submit to an authority that I don't like, something inside of me rises up, and it's called rebellion, Anybody ever face rebellion in your life? Anybody ever have a disgruntled attitude? Wrong judgments and perceptions and statements and attitudes and gossip and backbiting? Can I tell you, rather than coming to a place of going, God, I need to work out this submission issue with you, we try to work it out with humanity and we just cause more and more division. Isn't that what part of our culture is taking place today? The reality is today, just like the early church, just like Peter and Paul that we're going to be looking at in just a moment, we're in a hostile environment. They were in a hostile culture towards Christianity. You and I are in that same hostile culture. They were being hung on crosses in the streets in Jerusalem. We're not being hung on crosses for what we believe. Can I tell you? We can come back and go as persecution, persecution. I want to go. Persecution is actually suffering for the name of Jesus, not just making you a little bit uncomfortable. Today, Paul talks to us, dialogues with us. He encourages us to dedicate our lives and dedicate our work as unto God. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 6, if you'll turn with me, walk, look on the screen. I want to read out of the ESV. It says, bondservants. servants. Everyone say, bond servants. bond servants. Some translations say, slaves. This translation says, bond servants. And actually, that's the more accurate, trans, accurate translation. And what you need to understand about a bond servant is different than a slave. A slave was someone who was purchased off of, purchased and forced into slavery. A bond servant was someone that came and said, I willingly will serve you. Out of love, I will willingly serve you. Can I tell you, it's very similar to what you and I come and do as an employee. We come and say, I will serve you. I will get a paycheck and I will serve you. Bond service. So he's talking here, obey your earthly masters with fear, trembling, and a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Jesus Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a, good, with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free." I want to read a couple lines from one translation and one paraphrase. NLT says this, do the will of God with all of your heart. I want to say all of your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. I want to ask you, is your job done in enthusiasm or is it done in drudgery? That's a perspective and an attitude shift. The message, a paraphrase says this, but work heartily as Christ's servant, doing what God wants you to work and work with a smile on your face. Everyone say smile. smile. Have you ever been to a place, uh, whether it's the grocery store or whatever, and the person's just, you're trying to have a conversation with her. You're like going, do they have a pistol behind the counter? Are they going to shoot me? Can I tell you, there's something that should be significant to us to go, how we work and how we are portraying ourselves is not just us, it's portraying Jesus. The apostle begins a section of scripture about bond slaves, and we talked about the love slaves, it's similar to us as employees, but in the first century, this idea of slaves and masters, half of the population of Rome were slaves, whether forced slavery or bond servants. We're talking millions millions of people that were slaves. Many of them became Christians. This Christian message did not come first to the upper and higher class. It came among the working people and even among slaves. Many of these slaves were highly educated people who had been captured in the war and brought to other parts of the empire and made slaves. They were not unintelligent, but they were still slaves. They were literally working for pittance for people. And the Christian message found its initial reception amongst the lower class, amongst the common working people. There were also among them the people that would call masters, the employers, and they had become Christians. And can you imagine with me that here um, masters would come into a church on Sunday and employ and servants would come into a church on Sunday and they're worshiping God and they're having celebration before God and they're coming and hearing the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ. Stepping out of a service and going back in to master servant roles. Can you feel the tension? Do you see what's going on? And they're coming back going, but I want to be free. And so Paul is coming and he's addressing these situations. And he's talking directly to masters. And he's talking to those who are workers to go, this is how you work. This is how you honor God in working. We don't have the same situations, but the principles are unchanging. The principles are still the same. The philosophy of God is still the same. And today I want to give you four things of how we are to conduct ourselves on the job. How we are to conduct ourselves in serving Christ and working for an, employee, uh, for an employer. Number one, to work as a Christ follower, we have to, first of all, uh, we have a call to radical Lord-centered living. Radical Lord, center of Can I tell you at this moment, it's difficult if we are not focused on the Lordship of Jesus Christ to go into a job and work for people that we don't agree with. To work for an environment that it could possibly be a little bit uncomfortable or possibly hostile. We see in Ephesians chapter f- six, verse five, it says bondservants, servants, this love slaves, out of choice, out of love, out of willing service, that you are to do this as you would, as unto Christ. And Paul goes on a little bit further at the end of verse 6, but as bondservants of Christ Himself. Today, when we talk about this concept of bondservants, yes, they're going and saying, I'm going to be a love slave for whatever needs to take place on this job. But as believers, we step back and go, I'm first of all a bondslave to Jesus Christ. So, whether I'm uncomfortable on the job, whether I don't agree with everything that's taking place, as long as I don't have to lie and deceive on my part of the job, can I still fulfill this role as a person? All of our work should be done as under Christ. And I ask you today, what should our relationship with Christ be? Is He Lord of your life? Where we find this added first attitude adjustment is having to come back and go, Is Jesus truly Lord of my life? Or am I so swayed by this culture of my way, my rights, my body, that I want to do my thing. Rather than coming and going, no, I'm identified by Jesus before I'm identified by me. Lordship, the supreme power or rule. A person who recognizes ownership of Jesus Christ and one who gives up his or her personal rights. We talk about this concept of this lordship of serving and how many realize that sometimes God puts us in situations that are not easy right? God's not looking for your comfort. God's looking for your maturity. God's looking for growth in your life. And we don't like that concept, but God who knows best, Father who knows best, says, will you surrender and submit to me? Will you make me Lord of your life? What it comes back to is an attitude of trust to go, God, I have confidence that you have the best for me. This means that the way we think of the Lord and what we are doing at work. Asking ourselves, why would the Lord Lord like this done today? How would the Lord like me to do this today? When would the Lord like this done today? Will the Lord help me to do this? What effect will this have on the Lord's honor? In other words, being a Christian means radically Lord-centered living and working. It's not just coming back and going, what is my earthly master going to think? Ultimately, it's coming back and going, what is my heavenly master going to think? This concept of serving is to perform duties to attend to. And I can tell you that there's been many times in my life that I've gone to work to go, I've got to please my boss. But I can tell you that I, as I matured, the shifting is going, I have to please God. That word serve actually means to attend To. And maybe you're in a serving community, maybe you're in a serving job, and you're going, I'm attending to the people, I'm waiting on the people, but can I tell you, more than anybody else that you're waiting on is you're attending to Jesus? And that has to be the mindset to come and go, whether I like it or not, I'm attending to Jesus. The test is not whether you can obey your boss, but how obedient you are to Christ. And each of us needs to come back and go, God, am I being obedient to you? Am I walking out in obedience on my job to you? Not just to my earthly master, but most of all to the boss in heaven. Number two, to work as a Christ follower, we have a call to be a good person. Everyone say a good person. We all want to be a good person. We all want good people. We all think that we're good people. Can I tell you one of the biggest revelations to us as humanity is that we cannot earn God's salvation. We cannot be good enough for there's a continual striving for goodness. There's a continual striving in our lives to earn, earn something, whether that's acceptance of a person or acceptance of God. And today you've been saved for, I don't, for many years and you still step back and go, am I doing this to please God? Am I doing this to earn God? 58 years old, I read a divine revelation this last week as I'm sitting talking to my counselor going, I've been so consumed with trying to please this. That I've not even asked, am I pleasing him? Ephesians 6, 6 and 7 says this: doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as the Lord and not as, as to the Lord and not to man. Goodwill is friendly, helpful, cooperative in feelings and an attitude. Going back to service with a smile. I ask you today: are you cooperative on the job? Maybe you're cooperative on the outside. Are you cooperative on the inside? It's not just cooperative in what you're doing. It's cooperative in attitude. It's cooperative in what's going on inside of your heart, what's inside of your life. Matthew chapter 5 says this, let your light shine before man. Why? That they may see your good works. That they may see your goodwill." We're not in performance to go, someone pat me on the back. We're going, God, I want people to pat you on the back. And that's where it comes back and says, they may see your good works and not say, oh, what a good job. Let me give you a promotion. That might happen. But that's not the reason. It says that they may glorify your father, which is in heaven. That they may step back and go, they're unique. They're doing something that's so remarkable. Man, they're working for this horrible boss and I'm working for this horrible boss. But why is it that they can do it differently than me? Why can they have satisfaction and peace and I'm in turmoil? I ask you today, are you a person of goodwill? Goodwill displays kindness, the quality of being considerate of other people. Would people define you as a kind person? Can I tell you, I'd rather go to a kind person serving me than someone who's unkind. A person of goodwill is a person of grace, courtesies, having influence, Making space for other people's weaknesses and understanding. How many know someone of grace that you work with on the job and you're going, man, I like working with people of grace because they give me grace and I give them grace. Goodwill as a person of respect. Having a high regard for others as humans. Admiration for their qualities. You step back and go, but Pastor Kevin, you don't know. They're so stupid. They can't even do their job. I'm speaking your thoughts right now because I've had them. They're so inept, they can't do it. And God comes back and goes, do you respect them as a human? Are you showing them respect as a human? Are you trying to call them to a different place? Do you respect them enough to show value to them? A person of goodwill is hardworking, shown by the energy that they pour into a work, shown by the commitment that they have. They're faithful to the task. You can give them an assignment and they they complete it. You know those people on the job that you hear about the same assignment, you're doing yours and they're not doing theirs. A person of goodwill is a man or woman of integrity, having strong and moral principles, not willing to cut corners, being honest on the job, being reputable in how you behave. A person of goodwill is a person who is loyal, who gives support, who doesn't gossip, who doesn't bad mouth. Can I tell you, those are qualities of a goodwill as we step back and go, God wants you to be a good person because you being a good person isn't just for people to go, oh, he's such a good person, is to go, God, I glorify you with my, because it's you that helps me be good. Number three, to work as a Christ follower, we have, we have power to do a good job for inconsiderate employers. We live in a culture today That's a comfort culture, as I said. And I don't want to knock anybody today, but I want to ask a question. And if you're honest enough, I'm going to raise my hand because I'm already guilty of. Have you ever quit a job because of a boss that you couldn't handle? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not trying to exalt one or the other, but I have to step back and go, did I step into the power of God to do this job in spite of an inconsiderate boss? Did I run from something? Did I remove myself from a situation? Now, I'm not saying you surrendered to abuse, (laughs) verbal abuse. But I can tell you this, that God promised us, whether we like the promise or not, that life's not going to be easy. That you're going to experience tribulation and trials. And if we're continually jumping out of the trials and the tribulation, trials and tribulations is what shapes our lives. (laughs) It's what creates in us goodness and the character of God. It's what repels the rebellion out of our lives. It's what causes us to step back and go, no, there's something broken in me. It's not just broken outside of me. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, slaves, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. He doesn't quantify going if they're worthy of. It doesn't quantify to go, if they make me feel good. It doesn't quantify if they do it the way I like. It just says, earthly, obey them with deep respect and fear. Paul doesn't differentiate between good and bad. He just says, do it. Good bosses, bad bosses. I'm going to tell you, don't take advantage of good bosses and don't resent bad bosses. The reason is, is because it has to come back into you to go, God, how am I processing this? How do you keep on doing good in a job with respect and with fear? You do your best work with all of your heart always, whether you like it or whether you don't. You're saying, well, Pastor Kevin, that's not easy. I didn't say it was easy, and Jesus didn't say it was easy. How many realized that as a result of the fall, work got harder Work got less enjoyable. Now we have to go pull weeds rather than just reap the harvest. Paul's coming and he's aiming at the... He's trying to empower Christians with Lord-centered motives to come back and go, what is the motive of what you're doing? This word motive is a reason for doing something, especially one that is hidden or not obvious. Can I tell you what the, the obvious motives is I want to raise... The obvious motive is I want a good job and I want to be in the corner office. The obvious motive is that I get promoted. Can I tell you that God's not coming and talking about what you can gain on a job? He's coming and saying, is your heart motive right in how you're serving? How you step into a class and you teach your children, are you motivated with the right heart? As you go to your accounting job, are you doing it with the right heart? As you go to your free-to-lay job, I'm trying to just pull different jobs out as I look across this room going, are you doing it with the right motive? We have many motives that we can, when we go to work and not all, not all of them are evil. Our motive is to go, I'm going to work because I want to bring home a paycheck to provide for my family. I go to work because I want to use my abilities and my passions. I go to work because I I, I do want to gain a promotion. Can I tell you those aren't wrong, but I want to come back and I want to give you the biblical principle. Number one, the reality is that Christ himself states, it says that God is our ultimate provider. It's not your job. God is the one that provides. He's using your job, your place of employment to provide for you. What goes against our humanity is going, no, I'm a self-made individual and I've climbed the ladder and it's all about me. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to hit the wall one of these days and you're going to realize that your ladder has been propped up against the wrong building. Because Jesus is, God is the one who's going to provide for you. Another reality is that God is the one who gave you those abilities to use on your job. You are not a self-made individual. As talented as you are, as studied as you are, as learned as you are, as gifted as you are, can I tell you it's God himself who gave you the abilities to do those things? And when it comes to promotion, the Bible clearly states that it's God who gives promotion. It's God who sets up rulers and God who pulls down rulers. It comes back to this whole concept to go, I am reliant on Jesus. I need him in my life, regardless of what your boss might see, regardless of what the environment might be. Your promotion, your provision, your satisfaction is an attitude inside to go, God, I'm pleasing you. God is not calling us to easy. He's calling us to growth and to obedience. Today, as you are looking at your life and you're looking at your job, you have to step back and go, is this God causing displeasure in my serving job and I want to do something different? If it's abuse and you're suffering, or is it God's going, no, I want to stir your nest and I want you to learn obedience in the process. Today in our culture, this great escape from jobs, there's jobs all over the place and the, the salary rise. I mean, there's so many, how many, how many have just? Dis- as you go to be served or go to get things, realize that service is slower than it's ever been because the job force is slower or less than. When you think about 65% of the people that are quitting their jobs, I wonder, are they not even working? Lastly, this morning, to work as a Christ follower, we have, have encouragement that nothing good is done in vain. Can I tell you, this is probably the best verse of everything. This verse gives purpose for everything that we do. Anybody in this room, let's read the verse of scripture says knowing that whatever God, good anyone does, this will they will receive pay they will receive back from the Lord. Nothing that I've done has been in vain. As you look at your life, have there been situations that you feel like you've poured all of your being into and you've done it with the right motive? And at this moment, you don't see the results. You feel like you've given, and somewhere you've pleased God, but there's been nothing that's physically shifted or changed. Can I tell you, I find great motivation when Jesus comes and says, nothing's done in vain. Because I realize this, a wise woman, my sister-in-law said, Kevin, if you receive reward here, you're not going to receive reward there alarming concept. How many of us want the applause on earth? We all like it, but I can tell you this, the greatest applause is when Jesus Christ himself comes and says, here is your crown. It's about the crown, not that you get to wear, but it's about the crown that you get to wear for moments and then be able to turn around and say, no, I'm going to lay it at your feet because I did it as unto you. Jesus himself talks about this concept that nothing is done in vain. As you look at his life and all the things that he did and accomplished as he laid down his life, can you imagine him hanging on the cross and going, God, is this pointless? God, do I really have to suffer all this? Let me tell you, he wrestled with it in the garden. That's why he sweat drops of blood. He wrestled with the will of God. He wrestled with submission and yielding. And he wrestled with the concept to go, God, do I escape from this? Do I run from this? He said, I had thousands of angels at my beck and call that could have removed me. Or do I submit to the purpose of God? Today, I want to challenge you. Everything you do, nothing is in vain. The promise of God, he will reward you. Your supervisor may not see it. Your supervisor may not even know your name. Your super, the owner of the company may not even know you exist. But can I tell you, God is in heaven, and he's looking down on your life, and he's going, check mark, check mark, score. Yay, look at them. I'm so proud of them. They're glorifying me. They're honoring me. As I close today, a question I want you to ask ask yourselves, and I'm going to give you one verse of Scripture, and then we're going to pray. Is my workplace holy ground? As you go to work tomorrow, as you evaluate your workplace, is it holy ground? Is it a place where God is daily honored and daily exalted with your life and your actions? When you go to work, do you step into that office? Do you step into that classroom? Do you step behind that cash register? And you go, this is holy ground. God is present. And how I behave in my attitude, my heart, and my actions. God, I want you to be glorified. Can I tell you, when you find purpose in Jesus, and I can do it momentarily, and I don't do it all perfect, my wife would be the first one to come back and go, Kevin, remember the sermon you preached on May 29th. Oh, Blah blah. blah. You need to go listen to it. There was a guy that said anybody guilty? Philosophy of God is he's coming, he's saying, Work is a blessing, work is something that's good, it's a matter of heart, it's a matter of perspective, it's a matter of attitude. Can I tell you we can do and can endure anything for Jesus with the right perspective? We can endure and overcome cancer with the right perspective. You can endure and overcome a marital breakup with the right perspective. Hear me, church. It all comes back to going, God, am I willing to submit to you and walk in your lordship? As I close, Colossians chapter three. Whatever you do, everyone say whatever. Whatever you do, that's the broad spectrum of everything. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working as unto the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. I know that human words are so important. And today on my humanity, I want to come and say thank you for doing what you're doing. I don't see every action that you're taking, but I want to say thank you for working Thank you for making economy work. Thank you for making jobs pleasant, workplaces. Thank you for serving me and benefiting me. You may never hear that at your job, but I say thank you, and I mean that sincerely. But can I tell you the most important voice that you need to be listening to is God going, thank you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for enduring when it's hard to endure. Thank you for being a person of integrity. Thank you for being kind when it's rightfully your your right response is to retaliate. Thank you for being a person of grace when you want to cast judgment. Thank you for submitting yourself when you'd rather have your rights in your way. You say, Pastor Kevin, does God do that? All the time. I don't hear him audibly, but can I tell you, I know his word enough that I have to come back and go, God, you're speaking life over me. And he's speaking life over you today. As we close in prayer, as you close your eyes across this room, if you're here today and you are suffering, struggling as an employee, would you just raise your hand? If you're struggling with an attitude and perspective, raise your hand, just let me see. Thank you. Thank you. All across this room, thank you. God, today as these people are in need, as they've heard a biblical perspective on work, a biblical perspective on relationship to our jobs and our vocations, these callings that you placed upon our life. God, I love the fact that you're not a God that judges in in such a way that condemns You're a God that the Holy Spirit says, I want you to step a little higher. And God today, I'm not a person here to judge where someone's at and what they're doing on their job and whether it's pleasant or what their attitude is. Holy Spirit, that's your responsibility. and I release that to you today. And God, as as the word has gone forward this morning, I sense that there is a settling in some and a tension in others. And God, I pray that that tension is not attention to please Pastor Kevin or to please a boss, but to please God Almighty. God, I pray today. God, I release these people, that he, Christ followers that know you. I release them to be in the very center of your will, to be in the very purpose of their calling, to be in the very uh, fulfillment of what you have called them to do on their jobs, in their workplaces, and how to respond. God, all we have done today is bring a biblical perspective on this relationship, and God, it's your job to shift us and to change us. And God, today I pray, just as I have had to recoil this week, as I've had to regroup this week, as I've had to reevaluate my heart this week, God, that is what this purpose of this message is today. God, that each of us would step in and reevaluate. And God, those that are suffering on their jobs, those that raise their hands, those that are struggling, God, would you come and would you empower them? Would you help them to know that? You're the one that is pleased with them. And maybe, God, at this moment, the reality is maybe you're not pleased because maybe they're not responding in the right way. And so, God, give them the ability to respond the right way. God, pour out your ability and your grace. God, I know that everyone in this room has been given a divine calling, a divine vocation. Everyone in this room has been given abilities and skill sets. We've all been given the ability to provide for our families. God, you even... You you even tell us, woe be unto us if we don't work. So God, work is of you. This is not something that is a necessary evil. God, is something that's holy. And I pray for every person, whether they're in this room or whether they're online, I pray, God, that you would enable them, empower them, God, to see their job as a holy place, as holy ground, that as they walk into their communities, as they walk into their workplaces, they're carrying the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not just carrying the message, they're carrying the presence of God himself. God, help them to feel the gravity of what they're doing. And God, I thank you for them. I thank you for their obedience. And God, we pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. If you need prayer this morning, Our prayer team is coming at this moment. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of healing. We believe in the power of restoration. Maybe you need prayer for your job. Maybe you need a job. Maybe you need a job change. Can I tell you, these people can pray for you in those situations. God bless you. Next week is Outflow, get on and sign up. We need you very desperately. Remember the HVAC campaign as well. God bless, we'll see you next Sunday. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.